My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brigham campus, so welcome. Uh, like Tim said, um, you guys are welcome here, and I hope you guys felt that when you came in. I hope that you feel that every time you, you come here, um, because you really are. Um, before we get into the message, though, I want to talk, I, you know, he, he also mentioned something about the illnesses that are going around, and I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to those of you who have uh, stepped up and served over the last, especially over the last 18 months and, and two years, as we've go, been going through all of these, you know, the changes and stuff. Um, it's been, you know, across the country, church attendance is down. So serving at church is down, giving is down, things like that. Um, people are kind of just disengaged because of COVID and because of that stuff. And so I really am thankful for the, for, for people who have stepped up and served because, you know, today's a good, a good uh, example of um, when, when we're missing people that are, that are, you know, volunteering and serving, um, we start to feel it, you know? And so it takes a lot of people um, each week in order to help us have our Sunday services uh, come off, you know, and, and, and be good. Um, not just a pastor, you know, preparing a message, but, but really it takes a lot of people to make sure that the, the building is clean and, the, and the, the slides work and the lights work and all that kind of stuff. And so I've invited people often to come and, and find a place to serve, and you are all personally invited. But I would say more than just invited, I am, I'm asking for you to find a place um, where you can be a part of this. And, it, and really, you know, when you when you serve at church, you're not you're not serving to help the pastor out. But we are, as as we do this, we get to work for God, and we get to find our little place in helping other people on the same journey that we are on, right? And you, if you think about anything you've ever handled uh, in your life that was tough, it was always comforting to know somebody else that had been through something similar and could relate to you. And so that's what we're that's what we do on this journey. There's other people that are more advanced than us and people that aren't as far along as we are. And we want to be in relationship with people and help them. And serving um, to, to make these services happen is really a good way to, to help with that. So anyway, lots of opportunities, especially musicians. We would love to have some more musicians. Um, I, they won't let me play because I'm not good at it. Right? Oh, it's, that's, they always laugh when I try and play. I don't get it. Anyway, all right, so let's get at this message. So... Today we are in the third week of this five-part series on on the Trinity, and um, it's been pretty cool. It's 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 amazing how often this this triune nature of God comes up in conversation when we talk about God, and and why this is an important thing for us to uh, to understand. Um, something that we have have said each week through this through this series is that this. This concept of the Trinity is a difficult topic to understand, um, and we've kind of explained that that you know we 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 know that there are some people who may wonder why it's even important to uh, study this if if we ultimately can't understand it, um, and and so to that, uh, I would say that our faith our faith involves a knowledge of the gospel and an acknowledgement of the truth of, of the message of the gospel. And so everything that we've been going through um, in this series is a part of that message, and therefore it's deserving of our acknowledgement of its truth, whether we fully understand it or, or not. And so as we get into uh, today's lesson, 
that in the, with the Trinity that, that God is, uh, exists eternally in three persons. I just want to say if you are, if this is your first time joining us in this, in this series, like I was just saying, we discussed that this is a really, this is a difficult to, uh, topic to process. In fact, it is impossible for us to fully understand God's ways, uh, but we still have a responsibility to learn about, about God's nature. On that PDF that, that Brian was just talking about on the video, it referenced a, a passage from, from Job that I think is a really good one. And it says, you know, who understands God's, you know, the mystery of God's ways? Because um, we, we, we just simply can't. Um, but we still have a responsibility to try and, and learn more about it. So uh, what we're going through here in this, in this series, um, especially in weeks two through four, are these three truths about the Trinity. Last week, uh, Pastor Adrian explained uh, the first truth, that there is only one God. He, he, as he was speaking, he talked about, uh, he, he referenced a passage in Mark 12. Uh, Jesus replied, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And so today we are talking about how uh, God exists in three persons. Uh, we are learning that God simultaneously exists in three distinct persons is a, is a better uh, way to explain that. And then next week, Pastor Eric will be here um, to explain how each person in that, in that Godhead is fully God. So let's get at our, our first point here today, which is the Bible shows God existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I've said it already a couple times in this message, and I will say it more. This is a challenging concept for us. Um, but remember, um, if you heard uh, either of the last two messages uh, last week from Pastor Adrian and, and mine the, the first week, we've both explained that, you know, none of these analogies that we like to use, um, that, that get used to describe God's nature, none of them f ever fully encapsulate his nature. Um, and yet we still try. We still try to sort of get an understanding the way that our brains work. And so, you know, this is sort of a two-dimensional diagram of, of the Godhead here. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And together, they, they make up the Godhead. Um, and let's see, did that go? Yeah, it went forward. Okay, and in this, we see that the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and the Father is God, but that the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, and the Father is, is not the Son. Now, like I said, it's a challenging concept. Um, and, and this struggle, this con the, the, the difficulty wrapping our heads around this is, has been anticipated you know, since the Old Testament. And, um, and I think that that's why God gave us glimpses of it throughout his, his word. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So you notice here it says, Then God, that's singular, said, let us, that's plural, right? So, um, so even there, there, even in that one verse, there's, a, there's a, a sense of the singularity and the plurality of, of God together at the, same, at the same time. And if we remember um, from week one, we, we mentioned Colossians 1.15 that says that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And so, here, uh, you know, this, this doesn't prove the whole concept of the Trinity. It doesn't explain every, 
every aspect of it. But right here from the start, from the first chapter of the Bible, we, we do see all three persons that are of the Godhead that are represented, that are, that are referenced and, and present here. It gives us a powerful hint that this is the direction that, that it's going. It's the first of several Old Testament examples, <clears throat> but it becomes much more clear in the New Testament with the, the life of Jesus. In Matthew uh, 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So first we see Jesus in the water of the Jordan River. And second, we see the, the dove descending on him, um, the, or the, excuse me, the Holy Spirit descending on him in the form of a dove. And finally, we hear the voice of, of the father speaking from heaven. So all three persons are present here in this, in this same scene and at this moment, at the same time. Now, some people assume that the Trinity can't be true because all three persons are there, but, but there's a common misunderstanding of the Trinity concept. So one way to explain it, as we saw in this diagram, is that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, but there is one God. So we try to use language to carefully maintain important aspects of the big picture. And you've heard us in this series talk about, um, use the, the, the distinction between being and person, right? We don't say that there are three gods. We don't say there are three beings who are, who are God. And we don't say that there is just one person who is God. We say there is one God referring to God's being or his, his essence, right? Better yet, his existence. There's one existence of God. Um, as we learned last week, that existence is unified, but there are three persons. The, 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 the language here, the, the use of the word persons might not be exact enough for you. It might not be um, as precise, as, you know, it might not feel precise, but historically, that word was, was chosen to be used here because persons interact with each other. Um, it references the relational character of God, and it helps us to maintain a, a vital distinction of relationship. And similarly, it's important to note in our definition, there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. See, this is, this is an, an eternal uh, arrangement it didn't just start with the birth of Jesus. Before Jesus was born, he existed as God from eternity past. The Bible calls him the word. We see that referenced in, in the first chapter of, of the book of John. Um, it says the word was with God and the word was God. And this is hard to grasp because as we, as we said earlier, I think either last week or week, week one, we are finite, right? We are finite, but God is infinite. He's eternal. And he is also simultaneous. And that, that brings us to our, our second point here, <clears throat> which is one common error that denies the Trinity is the fallacy of what's called modalism. That there is, is one God who appears in three different forms, but are not coexisting or distinct. So modalism says that, there, that there's one God um, and that the God is one person 
but that he has revealed himself in three temporary forms or three temporary modes. Like, like sometimes he manifests himself as the Father, sometimes he manifests himself as the Son, and sometimes as the Holy Spirit, but, this, but, but that he does not uh, exist as the Father, Son, and Spirit all at the same time. So it would be like playing a role in a movie, right? Um, at Christmas time, one of my favorites to watch is, uh, is uh, Disney's Christmas Carol, where Jim Carrey plays four different characters in that, right? Or maybe you watch uh, Polar Express and Tom Hanks plays five different characters in that, right? But an actor can't, you know, an actor doesn't play multiple roles at the same time. And so that's kind of sometimes how, how people sort of envision uh, God's nature is that he's playing roles, one and then another and then another, but that doesn't, that doesn't you know, fit with, with what the Bible says. Um, it, and so there have been plenty of expressions of this view throughout Christian history, um, several attempts to sort of re-explain what the Bible says, um, including various nuances that, that only theologians will really notice and, and understand. And, and honestly, guys, even in, in prepping for, for this message, I have to be very careful not to use examples or analogies that, that muddy the water as I'm trying to clarify something. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, as, a, as an example, uh, two weeks ago, I, was, I used a couple of analogies to explain how, uh, I referenced them, explaining how sometimes people try to, um, try to define the, the, the Trinity or the triune nature of God. And afterwards, I had somebody come up to me and, and say, wow, that was really helpful. I finally understand um, this, the, the concept of the Trinity. And I, and I said, well, now hang on a second. Those, the thing I said immediately after that analogy is really important. When I said that ultimately all of these analogies fail, they all do a, a poor job of representing the character of, of God. And so we don't want to, they, they might sort of help us understand something temporarily, but ultimately we don't want to, we don't want to um, plant our flag on that analogy as though it explains the character of God because ultimately it will fail and it can actually lead us to a, an inadequate misunderstanding of God. And we don't want to we don't want to misunderstand the, the nature and the character of God. So we have to get comfortable with the idea that we can't fully understand this. We are supposed to continue to learn about God, but we won't ever fully understand all of, all of his ways, okay? So the problem with modalism um, is failing to recognize uh, the biblical truths of the three distinct parts of the three distinct persons of the Godhead. But, you know, to their credit, modalists are, they're trying to uphold the oneness of God. They accept that, like what we, we learned from Pastor Adrian last week, um, but they fall short of, of what the, the biblical reality is because it doesn't recognize that the three distinct persons existing simultaneously, like we saw in, in Matthew 3, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were simultaneously uh, interacting with each other there at the Jordan River. And here's, here's another example of it um, in Mark 14. Jesus is talking, he says, Abba, meaning Father. He cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
excuse me, not mine. So Abba is, is the word for, for father. It's demonstrating an intimacy between the two, right? It's like crying out, dad. So there's an intimacy between these, these two persons. But then this, this last part, I want your will to be done, not mine. This is, this is a, a good example of, of submission, right? Of, of one person submitting to the will of another. And neither of these interactions would make sense if there aren't distinct persons in the Trinity. If the Father and Son are merely roles that God plays or forms that, that God takes, it would be as though he was talking to himself. And, and you know, speaking of that, sometimes you, you, know, you hear um, people ask, who was Jesus you know, praying to? there in the garden. Um, just this week, I, uh, I was asked, if, if Jesus is God, who was he praying to? Was he, was he talking to himself? Um, but that, that question, it really fails to grasp what the Trinity doctrine is actually saying, um, because people who, a- who ask that are often sort of assuming a modalistic concept themselves that, of, of God that he is somehow limited as though he's not capable of, of being each person in the Trinity simultaneously. But the Bible says that there are distinct uh, persons, distinctions within the one God, and we call them persons. So, so the answer is Jesus wasn't, he wasn't praying to himself. He was, he was praying to the Father, and the Father is not the Son. So modalism also misses the mark by, by denying the idea of relationship within the Trinity, that they would interact uh, with each other. And <clears throat> excuse me, in First in John 4, 8, I don't have a slide for this, but it says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now modalism um, undercuts the important biblical truth that God is love and has always been love, that he is defined, that he defines love. So if God is intrinsically love, then how did he love before he created anything to love, right? Because God existed before uh, he created the universe. But there, and there was nothing outside of himself that existed uh, to be the object of his love. And so if God created human beings in order to express his love, then that would suggest then that, that God is incomplete without us. And, and that's not a perfect, infinite being at all. So see, the Trinity actually explains how God is loved from eternity past. The three, the three persons of, of the one God experience love among themselves because they were all present. So you, for eternity, they were all present from, from eternity past. So you see why this nuance really is actually important to better understand God's character. And that's the problem with, with modalism. But as we move on to uh, section three, or excuse me, uh, my third point here, um, we, we, we see that we relate personally with each member of the Trinity as we discover their unique roles in creation, salvation, and in prayer. So as I mentioned before, <clears throat> the concept of the Trinity really is, it's really just woven throughout all of, of God's word. In fact, it's, it's woven all throughout all of our experience with him. So 
and, and we see that he was present. He's present throughout the whole story. If we look at, at creation, right? The father, we'll see all, all three persons in creation. The father planned the work. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He planned that. But, but the son performed the work. In John 1.3, it says, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And then in Genesis 1-2, we see that the, spa, the, the Spirit uh, empowered the work. It says the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And similarly, just like in creation, we also see all three persons uh, of God demonstrated in, in salvation as well. The Father initiated the plan. In John 10, verse 17, it says, the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. For this is what my Father has commanded. And the Son accomplished the plan of salvation. In Galatians 1, 4, it says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Oops, there we go. And the Spirit brings forth the, brings forth the fruit. In 1 Peter 1, 2, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, the three persons of the Trinity, all, they all share the same attributes. They, they, they share the same essence, the, the same existence. They are all fully God. We'll talk about, like I said, uh, Pastor Eric will be up here next week to talk about how all three persons in the Trinity are, are fully God, but they are, they are all fully God, and therefore, they are all worthy of our worship. They work together in perfect unity, but they have specifically distinct different roles. So the last part of this is prayer. The last demonstration of, of the Trinity that I have here today is, <clears throat> is prayer. All three persons are uniquely involved in prayer as well. So first, Jesus taught us, excuse me, first we, we pray to the Father. In Matthew 6, 9, Jesus told us, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And second, we have access to the Father through what Jesus did for us. In Hebrews 10, it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can draw near to God and talk to him freely because of what, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then third, the Holy Spirit brings us into a powerful and, and, and intimate relationship with God as our Father. In Romans 8, 15 and 16, it says, so you, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Think about that, that, that passage there and how it, how, like I said, it brings us into this powerful, 
intimate relationship with God as our father. You know, dads, think about that. Think about how protective you are of your kids, right? Moms, same thing, right? That, that parental relationship, or the way you view your child, that, that's, that is a powerful love. But, but also the intimateness of, of this, you know, we call him Abba, Father. We, couldn't, we could call him Dad because of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. We have, we have this close, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. So, you know, we're not going to make a fuss if, if somebody prays spontaneously to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. When I end the sermon today, I'll probably do both. Um, because, because both of them our God. And of course, there's a whole lot more that the, that the Bible explains about how Jesus and the Holy Spirit are involved in, in prayer. But, <clears throat> excuse me, in general, the biblical pattern of prayer reflects and it respects the roles of the Trinity, those distinct roles of the Trinity. We pray to the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, guys, as we, as we close this out today... Um, Throughout this series, we have seen God's character on display. We've seen it throughout the series. We see it throughout the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation. We see God's character on display. He has intentionally given us glimpses of, of his nature and shown us his character on purpose. He, he gave it to us intentionally because he wants us to study that and to pick up on that. But as we think and, and, and as, we, as we ponder on this three persons of the, of the Godhead concept, as we ponder that, we see that since the beginning of time, through the Father, God has always had a plan for us. And we see through the Son, we see that God always loved us to the point that he became a propitiation. He, came, he became an exchange for us at the cross. His blood for our sins. And through the Spirit, we see that relationship was, was, was his goal with us. He is something that, that God has always wanted was to be in relationship with us. <clears throat> so if you are at a, at a place where you want to dig into what a relationship with God looks like, um, please come talk to me afterwards. Talk to, talk to one of the, the other leaders. Mark's over here. Tim's over here. Um, talk, talk to one of the overseers or one of the leaders and, and let us help you as we, as we take a, help you take that next step um, in, in beginning that relationship. Or maybe not beginning it, but just taking it a step further along. We want to be able to help you with that. We want to come alongside you and, and, and help you with that because God has shown us throughout all of this that it's important. He's demonstrated this nature of his that he wants us to learn about, right? He wants us to, to um, he wants, some of it he wants us to, to understand, but he wants us to trust in that nature. And so we want to be able to help you with that. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, uh, Father, I just, I thank you so much for, um, I, I thank you that you had a plan from, the, from, from eternity past. Um, 
something I cannot wrap my head around that, that <clears throat> farther back than my brain will even compute, you already had a plan in place. Lord, that you loved us so much that you would send your son, your perfect son who, who knew no sin, you would send him here as a perfect example to me, uh, to, as a perfect example to, to all of us, but not only just as an example, but also as, a, a, as fully man and fully God to, to give himself over to the cross, to take on my sins and, and, and all of our sins with the distinct goal of, of, being, of maintaining and staying in relationship with us. Lord, it, it is, it's more than I can understand. And, and so, Lord, I just ask that as we, as we ponder this lesson and as we ponder um, all of these lessons, everything that we get from your word, um, Lord, I, I just ask that we all find a peace with the idea that we might not be able to fully grasp everything about you, Lord. But the one thing that we can get is that you are trustworthy and that you are a God of of, of of promises and a God who has who fulfills promises. And, and the, because you are trustworthy, Lord, your word is trustworthy and the message in the word is trustworthy. And so, Lord, we just, we're grateful to be in relationship with you and to, uh, to strive continuously to better understand this nature um, so that we can be in relationship. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful. We thank you. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.